1: Hey, fuck you, Josh. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Tina Butterwolf. It's
0: your boy. It's okay.
1: Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Huh? Rebel Radio is going down. What
0: did you say? Rebel Radio?
1: Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio.
0: What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. This week, we're coming at you live and direct from L.A. Times... Festival of Books, New Story. It's a live episode in front of an audience up on stage. We recorded this a couple months ago, and I'm excited to bring it to you today. Uh, My guest on stage with me was the one and only DJ Z Trip. He's one of my favorite DJs. He's a guy I've been trying to have on the show since day one, and I'm so excited that we were able to make it happen. Uh, If you don't know Z Trip, he is considered the godfather of mashups, he's LL Cool J's touring DJ. He's also uh, co-hosts with LL uh, Rock the Bells Radio on Sirius XM. He's also playing festivals around the world. He's also making beats and remixes and albums and all that stuff. We get into all that about Z-Trip's amazing history, his journey, um, kind of exploding with with uh, one of his mixtapes that really introduced the concept of mashups uh back right around 2000 and you know he talks about work ethic he talks about lessons learned it's good stuff coming up on rebel radio right after the edm.com track of the week
1: I put too much in this mission I cannot
0: weaken for even a weekend No, I cannot trust and just risk it. that's why I keep all this distance that's why I keep all this. that's why I keep all this. that's why I keep all, this. That's I keep all this distance that's why I keep that's why I keep all this. that's why I keep all, this. That's why I keep all this distance coming up fast. Pray that for my Yo, that was Movers with Distance, the EDM.com track of the week. If you like that one, get over to EDM.com, check out more new music, and let's get into the interview with Z-Trip. Hello, hello. What's up? Awesome. What's up, guys? Thanks for joining us for Rebel Radio, live at the LA Times Festival of Books. I think, uh, appreciate you making time on your Sunday. I know there's a lot to do. You guys could be in the desert at Coachella sweating it out, and you're here in a comfortable, beautiful theater with us. So I appreciate that. Um, I know we have people kind of straggling in. It seems like there was a a mix-up with the tickets a little bit, so we'll have people joining us throughout the show. If, you're, if this is your first time checking out Rebel Radio, uh, it's a weekly podcast that I host talking to the rebels that are shaping youth culture, our, our culture today, and uh, my guest here could not be a more perfect fit for that. We're going to talk about you and all the amazing stuff that, uh, that you have brought us. Um, the show is coming up on four years. And you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you find podcasts. YouTube, we are live streaming uh, this show on YouTube. So anybody watching us on YouTube, if you're driving, please pull over. Uh, we don't want any casualties of the show. Uh, big, big shout out, thanks to the LA Times, to Clint, Pamela, everybody that puts on news story. Uh, we were here last year interviewing uh, Ali Shaheed Muhammad from A Tribe Called Quest. We had a great time, and, and uh, it's an honor to be invited back. I usually don't get invited back places, so <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, so, we are here with DJ trip. Thank you for doing this, man, I appreciate you. I'm
1: stoked to be here.
0: Um, so, w- we've known each other for a long time. Um, I wanna talk about uh, your amazing journey as a DJ, entrepreneur, producer, all of that. Um, so we could, we could spend a whole hour just giving your resume, but I, I'm gonna give some highlights. Um, um, so Z Trip is known as, as the godfather of mashups, which I think is an interesting title that we'll kind of dig into.
1: Uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't put that one on myself. That was kind of... No,
0: no, I, I understand.
1: <laughs> one day, <laughs> it just happened.
0: Totally. Um, but you're also rocking festivals all over the world. Uh, apparently, uh, for the delight of our, our Clint Schaff in uh, multiple states around the country, I know you 're the touring DJ for LL Cool J for many, many years, and uh, you're also um, do the the Rock the Bells radio with him on Sirius XM yeah. forty three correct. Um, and you know you 've opened for uh, everybody on the planet, including the Rolling Stones including Lincoln Park. I got to spend some time with you watching that show at the Hollywood Bowl that you opened. Um, and then producing for so many, many people, pro- producing and remixing for Bob Marley, the Beastie Boys, Daft Punk, Nirvana, Public Enemy, plus movies, plus uh, who knows what else. I'm sure lots of other great stuff. Um, you played, uh, so we met, I think it was 1996, over the phone. And I forget who introduced us. But somebody told me about this guy from Arizona. And, um, and I had heard the, uh, the Tom Sawyer remix that you did. You know, we spent some time talking, you know, you shared beats with me, and we started kind of getting to know each other back then, and then, um, and then I had the pleasure of booking you, I'm sure, probably more than once with some herb parties, but I remember when, it, when we were doing the marketing for Scion cars for Toyota, we had uh, this crazy launch party in New York and, and brought you out to play for a bunch of Japanese businessmen.
1: I, I remember that party, actually, yeah. Yeah, that was, you know, it's funny because if you think about back in the day, all those parties, like early Herb parties, Cyan parties, like some of those things were all just, we all started out at a certain time and everybody got, fell into different businesses and we were all trying to still connect the dots. So it's like, if you got a thing, you I knew we would probably get the call or if we got a thing and we need somebody to write about it, we're like, let's yeah. call you and call Raymond, call Herb. Like it's, yeah. So everyone was trying to sort of connect the dots. So those were the the early frameworks, I think, of people getting day jobs, but still keeping a toe in the culture.
0: So is that still a thing? I mean, I think you're you're 100% right that, you know, for guys like us, when we started in in this business, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I didn't think of it as a business. I didn't realize that it was a business until much later. And it was just more about this community and this sort of, uh, you know, brotherhood of, people that you shared values with?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, it's, um, you know, we all sort of came up again at the same time. So, uh, you know, it didn't really feel like it was work ever when mm-hmm. I was working. You know, if you were like, hey, I got this job thing, it was always like, oh, I'm just going to go and do your event or your thing. But it, right. it, I, I knew that it was going to be dope. I knew that it was going to be, you know, of the culture. And it wouldn't be like, I'd walk into a room full of people that I'm like, what? You know, right. they. Yeah. I thought we were gonna go here, they all want this, now it's awkward and weird, and <clears throat> some of the, the businesses, you could tell, like some of the businesses around the time that you're doing these parties, you know, if it was something for you, I was like, I know exactly what I'm walking into, but I would walk into some of these other parties, and, and they'd book me on the strength of a Coachella performance, or they saw me do something, and they're like, now do it for these people, and right. you're just like, this is, it's, I'll, I'll try, but like, <laughs> It's right. in branding, marketing, everywhere. Um, you almost It's almost kind of hard to find a pure that um, without having some corporate entity sort of, you know. Yeah, I mean,
0: I think, you know, on both sides, the companies have wised up. That culture is important, and they need to be uh, investing in that. And then, you know, uh, when we did that, that Cyan event, so it was the night they had just announced that they were launching a new car brand that morning. And then we had this party, right? And so I don't know if you remember this, but we had to call and book, you know, we had Shepherd Ferry design the invites and we had, you know, some some of our great DJ friends playing and we had to kind of, we, we weren't allowed to tell anybody what it was for. So we were just like, it's this new car thing and you got to trust me that it's not going to be terrible.
1: Right, <laughs> right. And,
0: uh, but that doesn't happen anymore like that that uh, hesitation to work with corporate partners doesn't No,
1: I, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's it's just about choosing the right entity you want to align with, you yeah. know. Because, again, so many of these people who were there in the trenches with us and the parties that were the raves or the things that were, you know, the illegal parties or whatever are now the heads of some of these companies. So it's like it kind of right. makes sense.
0: Okay, but I want to talk about you. What year was that when you had Beck come out?
1: It's funny because I've I played Coachella um, four times, I think, or something yeah. like that. So I forget which years they were, but they, it all, the experience, it all just sort of bleeds together. But that was, um, yeah, that was one where <laughs> it was crazy because uh, I think Beck had played the day before or something like mm-hmm. that. Or, That's right. And um, and I was playing the next day, and we were on a golf cart going to the stage, and Paul Tillette Uh, who's one of the golden voice uh, heads of golden voice um, was like, man, Beck has been hitting me up all day wanting to get on another stage and do a freestyle thing. He's like, I'm trying to figure out where to put him. I'm like, put him on my stage. And he's like, what? I was like, yeah, we'll just collaborate on something. And I was just, you know, I didn't think it was going to happen, but he's like, all right, cool. Let's see what happens. Literally get to the back of the stage. And all of a sudden Beck's there. And I was like, oh, Hey man, what's going on? And uh, I had to get up to go on stage to perform and I was like, "So what do you want to do? Like maybe?" And I just threw this out. There. I was like, "How about we do two turntables on a microphone? It kind of makes sense where it's at." Right. He's like, "Yeah, cool." I'm like, "All right." So I'm thinking we'll go like, uh, "Who's it? it's you and Justin?" Who's uh, was playing bass um, for him? It was those two, and and they were just gonna pop up at the end of my set. And I was like, "Okay, we'll go like a uh, verse, chorus, verse, double chorus, out." Right. And he's like, "Yeah, cool." I'm like, "Great." All right, later, man. And I just jumped up on stage. <laughs> And I was like, this is going to totally suck or totally be amazing.
0: I'm so happy to have HoneyBook as a sponsor on Rebel Radio because I know a lot of you, just like me, have your own businesses. Um, You started something around your creativity, and and that's what you love doing. But, you know, running a business, you have to do it all, right? you got to handle the contracts, the payments the proposals, all the stuff that's not really what you care about, but it has to get done, right? Cause you gotta get that money. So HoneyBook is an online business management tool that lets you organize all those communications in one place. Uh, it integrates with your existing software like QuickBooks, Google Suite, MailChimp, whatever you use. And it it just makes it simple to run your business better. They give you templates, signatures, automation to keep everything on track. Let you focus on the work that you really love to do. Save time, do more of what you love with Honeybook. Right now, Honeybook is offering Rebel Radio listeners 50% off your first year with the promo code REBEL. Payments flexible and the promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. So go to honeybook.com, use the promo code REBEL for 50% off your first year. Don't be stupid, do it now. That's honeybook.com, promo code REBEL.
1: Well, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, it ended up being great. He came out, we just did it, and um, freestyled the whole thing, and it became, you know, a, a, one of those highlights that they, you know, wrote about. And it was great. I mean, it was just a fun time. Well,
0: I think, you know, I brought it up because it was, it was, you know, it's a set that I still remember, you know, this many years later, and it was one of those things when um, – uh, now that's what Coachella is, right? It's a bunch of surprise sets. I mean, it's, it's w- way more rehearsed than that, I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But, you know, but, there's a, but they've kind of baked that in. But when you were doing that, like that was this new thing. You know, that yeah. was this kind of spontaneous new idea.
1: I'm always up for that, though. That I think my whole legacy speaks to that. Um, I love taking two different things and putting them together that aren't necessarily supposed to work and figuring out the common thread between them and that to me is very much sort of uh the whole approach of of just trying to be you know be authentic to what I'm about and what I'm into musically um drawing from different genres that I grew up listening to really being a fan of of hip hop really being a fan of heavy metal really being a fan of jazz and funk and like and figuring out ways to incorporate drum and bass whatever it is and those shows to me like those early days having the ability to freestyle is such an important part of the show to me. So if you, you know, if I've got sort of my set planned out or mapped out a little bit, and all of a sudden you throw me this Beck curveball, like that's exactly what I'm looking for. Because to me, that's also what makes you a better artist is being sort of pressed into the situation where you have to sink or swim. And doing it, you know, doing a, a balancing on the high wire without a net is way more fulfilling you know what I mean if you know there's a net there you're not it's just not as cool sure you know what I mean so to know that you've got to really nail it um forces you to come up with stuff and I think there's you know when the crowd also sees that too it's kind of like I've always used this analogy where you're surfing and the person goes into the wave and you can't see them and there's that moment of like are they going to make it And they don't uh, and then they come out they're like yeah they made it (laughs) that's kind of the same thing like I want to be able to have that moment of like oh, I don't know, they, it's not gelling. Now they're gelling. Oh, and then it's like, that's. oh, my God, I just saw the most amazing thing that I didn't, it was total by surprise. And it's a surprise for me right. and for them, and that to me is, um, I grew up watching uh, artists do that. So I like to, any chance I can, I try and throw a curveball in.
0: So let's talk, you mentioned music that you, you're a fan of. So um, take us back to the beginning. Do you remember the first record you ever bought?
1: First record I bought was the story of Star Wars, and oh, wow. it was the narration of Star Wars. So not the John Williams. No, no, not in the music. It was the narration. Oh my god! Um, and uh, and I listened to that record over and over because Star Wars was such a big deal for me as a kid. Yeah, um, I saw that when I was seven. Right, right when it came out, super sure. excited. Um, and so, getting that record and hearing. I was able to sort of watch the movie again with all the actors' voices and stuff, Mm -hmm. and it was incredible. But it's funny because that record is such a staple in my diet that as I started getting into music and buying records and just getting, you know, I started out as a drummer and wasn't really collecting records to be a DJ or anything. I just loved music, but once I got turntables and everything set up, I started messing with different styles of music. I would take Anything that had a big long drum break or instrumental uh, a James Brown instrumental, whatever And I would put that Star Wars record over top of it Uh, and try and scratch the noises because I knew that record verbatim. It was like my go-to scratch record. So Trying to put that over different things and finding out what works what didn't work and it was like So it's kind of really weird that my first record was not even a, a music piece. It was like the tools.
0: I mean, that's kind of fitting
1: Yeah, pretty much. So, I mean, you know, scratching R2-D2. Who introduced you to DJing? Um, Well, it's really... I'd have to say that I absorbed it... So, originally, I'm from New York. Before I moved to Arizona, I was in New York, and I was listening to... um, So, hang on. I was in New York... Moved out to Arizona. My f- family was out there. Got a divorce. My uh, parents got a divorce. My dad moved back to New York. And so my mom was in Arizona and my dad was in New York. So I was doing this back and forth thing. So I would go to New York and I would listen to these mix shows on the radio late at night. And it was Marley Mall and Red Alert and right. uh, Chuck Chillout and all these uh, New York DJs mixing these songs together. And I would listen to this music and I'd be like, what is that? And certain songs I would know. But the songs that they were playing on the radio were like another verse or an extended version or Mm -hmm. some whole new drum pattern of the song that I didn't know existed. So I would go to the record store and buy the records that I heard on the radio and just started collecting records. So those guys were kind of the first people who got me into the idea of having extended versions of songs or things that I didn't know existed. And my collection turned into me being bringing those records back to Arizona and people at, in Arizona going like you have such great records why don't you play them at our party right. so it was sort of like cool I'll bring my cool record collection and make your party cool yeah and uh and that you know it turned into also then it's like hey can you make me a mixtape with all those cool records it's like sure so I was just really sharing this music with other people who because they were regional New York hip hop records. Sure. Nobody in Arizona knew what the hell they were listening to. So it was kind of like this I was like the missionary like handing out, you know, leaflets like check out MC Shan, check out <laughs> you know whatever. <laughs> so
0: Well, it's hard to imagine that there was a time when everything wasn't everywhere. Right, right. Right, and so if you lived in a place like Arizona, you know, you knew about the top
1: 10 hip-hop, you know, and that was it. That was Well, the, the, everyone knew, like, White Lines and right. Jam on it and stuff, but, like, here I'm coming with, yeah, like, yeah. you know, two live crew records and just regional Miami bass records or regional um, Philly records, and people had no clue what they were hearing, but they loved it. They were totally into it, and so I became the, the go-to guy in my hood um, and it was funny because my source was going back to New York and just grabbing records. I sure. remember the first time I got a credit card, I went to the record store and bought five hundred dollars worth of records. It was like yeah, yeah, yeah. cool, and brought them all back, and then then I had to pay for them all, which right. was like that was my first experience with credit. Um, but I bought all records, which is kind of funny because you know, flash forward to now, it's kind of still the same deal. Yeah, I'm just now buying less records for more expensive, and they're right, like right, in Japan, right. you know. Sure. What I
0: mean? So that's great. So, um, so I, I, you know, I know you had uh, your thing going in, in Arizona with bomb shelter DJs, and and um, you know, as I mentioned, the Tom
1: Sawyer remix. Um, what was that was for a soundtrack? That was the first um, remix I got paid for, nice. which was uh, which was for the movie Small Soldiers, um, and they oh, ran yeah. it in the movie too. Which you know, I did that whole remix on. Uh, an then Sonic EPS 16 plus, if you know about gear, um, and I maxed out the memory on that thing, and I took it, recorded it, took it and put it in a Pro Tools session, did the scratching, and sent it to them. And I didn't think it was going to happen, um, but they hit me back. there like, "We love it." I think I got a thousand dollars for it, mm-hmm. and that's real money. That was incredible. Are you Pay kidding off me? Like, go oh, I got a thousand dollars for doing this thing. It probably took me, you know, a week to do it. Uh, and then went and saw the movie and saw the scene, Kirsten Dunst dancing in her room with like all these rock posters and listening to my remix. I was like, this is the shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've made it. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, that was, that was a, a very sort of empowering moment. And once you sort of, I, I feel like as a DJ coming up, I think most DJs, at least I could speak for myself, but I would think most, you just want to express your art you want an audience of people to hear what you do right and so you'll do it for nothing you'll do it just to do it and after a little bit of time when you actually get paid for doing something that you would have kind of done anyway like then it turns into like wow wait a second i can sustain this if i just keep building and that was kind of my the turning point for me to actually get a check from warner brothers or dreamworks mm-hmm. sorry a check from dreamworks for this thing and it was just like the light bulb went off I was like I got to continue to do this yeah
0: yeah so uh it's interesting I was I was in a conversation this week with some music business folks and you know it was about how you know there's 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 ongoing discussion about where the money goes in music and and you know how come the artists don't make more of it and all of that stuff and uh one of the people in the room said you know not not to not to counter that, but said you know the artists that I talk to like will often they, just, they want their music heard, often to the detriment of making money, yeah right yeah. that they 'll often make business choices uh, or choices that affect their business based on this idea that they want it out there for the world to enjoy
1: i I see both sides of it, yeah from being a starving artist who wants the um, recognition, you know what I mean, because if that equates to x amount of likes or x amount of attention. Um, and you sacrifice making money for it, I understand that. However, I feel you can do both. Um, you just have to be savvy about doing both. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, too, is you know, knowing your worth. You have to really know what you're worth and knowing not to sell yourself short. Or if there's a time to bargain or sell yourself short, you know what you're getting in return. Right. Um, I think the other thing that most people should pay attention to, and I pay attention to a lot, and the, and the longer I do this, the, the more it really comes into play, is the aggregate you know what I mean it's really about what you know not how much you're making at this particular gig or that particular gig or weighing one against the other but how much you know, are you able to do this for a living right are you able to right now and go get a, a meal and eat that meal and not feel like i can't afford the extra guacamole or whatever the hell you know what I mean like is that is your life okay are you good right. then then that's covered now anything else should be sort of like how do i build upon that but if you make it be about each gig as opposed to uh, you know, an aggregate of, of of the amount you're making or the skills you're you're you're, you're doing and what you're getting back based off of those skills, um, and it and it benefits you, then you're winning. You know what I mean? And it, th- then it just becomes about the margin of how big that is. But I think people tend to get so focused in on the one gig and the you sure. know, if you make it just be about that, then you're I think you're kind of you're not you're missing the bigger picture. You know, you'll get those bigger gigs. You'll get the you know, you'll get the phone call from Scion where it was like, hey, we got this big budget. Like, cool, that mm-hmm. covers rent for, you know, right. six months. Don't have to worry about that. Now I can go back to doing, you know, other things. It's yeah. like, they'll come. You just got to build it.
0: Yeah. So um, a- after Small Soldiers, sort of the next time that I really uh, saw you on like a national scene, and correct me if I'm wrong, but but was with Uneasy Listening. There's been a lot of compromising on the road to my horizon. But I'm going to be where the lights
1: are shining on me. Like a rhinestone.
0: So, you know, for anybody that doesn't know, was that 2001?
1: Yeah, it was like 2000, 2001. Okay, yeah.
0: So uh, this mix CD, if anyone's not familiar with the CD, it's this round thing. (laughs) You can, like, put drinks on it now. Um, But uh, it was a mix CD that you did that I think for a lot of people um, was the first time they had heard mashups. I I think, you know, I think calling it, I think mashups is sort of a disservice to what that was. And I remember from the moment that opened with the Rhinestone Cowboy, um, just feeling like this is something different than what we're used to hearing.
1: Yeah, it was it was meant to be um, sort of a, a we called it um, against the grain. Yeah, uneasy listening, volume one. The whole thing was I love music uh, and I've always been trying to sprinkle in other styles of music into what I when I play. So if I go into a room full of people who just want to hear rap music, I'm going to try my hardest to f- sprinkle in a couple other things that they don't know that they may dig or maybe into, um, and also for myself, so it's not just one thing all night long, right. and that um, would parlay itself into playing three or four hours, and then all of a sudden playing a Van Halen thing, and having people come up to you at the end of the night and be like, man, that was an amazing set you played, three hours, awesome, that Van Halen thing you did was cool, you're like, yeah. three hours, that was the one thing that stuck out, because it was so oddball. Sure. Yeah. So that became sort of the, the basis of making a whole mix based around the oddball stuff or the stuff that I thought was really interesting and cool. And I met with DJ P, who was the other guy, I did it with mm-hmm. in Springfield, Missouri. And I did a show, and I was uh, he played, and I heard him doing sort of the same style of stuff, where it was like, here's all this bizarre stuff that you wouldn't normally hear DJs play at the time. I was like, we got to get together, man. Uh, like I haven't really heard anybody pushing the boundaries like that. And he came out to Arizona and we worked on that thing for a week and put it out. And it was it was also to combat um all the mixtapes at the time started to become less about music and more about exclusives. So it was right. like who had the hottest, latest, yeah, most deaf verse or, you know, whatever it was. And that's all the mixes everyone was trying to one up each other on having the most exclusive. And I feel like in a weird way, we're very much back to that. And it's kind of never left, but it's very much back to that now. of, of With mixtapes. Well, just in general with music, it's mm. like things are so immediate that it's not so much about how amazing the song is. It's about how many people hear it and how many likes you can get and how much of a splash you can get. And then in two or three weeks, people are on to the next thing right? Um, by default. But at that time, those were the mixtapes, and we were like, I don't want to hear I don't want to plug in a mixtape and hear the same things from all different you know ten different mm-hmm, guys mm-hmm. chopping up the same forty songs so let's do this and so we did that and it was kind of an interesting time too because it was right around the time of Napster right mm-hmm. it was right around the time of um, people sure making the internet their, just yeah internet sharing mainstream. file sharing also um, one of the things that was super cool about that is it was around the time where people were starting to burn their own CDs and, you know, make their own playlists of things. And and I remember uh, for that particular mix, when I was designing the cover, I was like, I remember going into a girl's car one time. She had the booklet of CDs and she had like, you know, 50 CDs and I cracked it open. There's all these different colored CDs with like artwork or whatever. And it's very, you know, minimal writing on things. So I couldn't tell what she had. And I was like, how next mix CD I do, I gotta make it big and say something that's hit you in the face. And so I was like, This is the best CD I own. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's what I put on it. And I was like, oh, so that that's way right. when people would flip through the things, they'd be like, What is this? And I'd plug it in, right? So it was sort of this early <laughs> marketing great. scheme. But then people were coming up to me going like, Yo, that best CD I own is the coolest. <laughs> you know. So it was just a it was almost like a a test to see what worked that coupled with people sharing it and, you know, we made a thousand of those things. They um, they flew and then, you know, we pressed up another couple thousand. I think we ended up getting like four or five thousand of those things um, and we couldn't change the artwork because I was right. only going to do a thousand. I thought like, maybe we could get rid of these things but yeah. it ended up, Blowing up and landed us in, like, Rolling Stone and Spin. I ended up getting a record deal off of that. Yeah. I ended up um, doing the Linkin Park tour based mm-hmm. off of that. Like, it just opened everything because it was so different from what was going on. And it was a risk that I took and P took, but we thought people were going to hate on it. You know, to be honest, I I, I was like, this is... Is r- that right? Yeah, yeah. Are you kidding me? I was like, this is so against the norm that... Everybody within the hip-hop scene is probably going to look at this and shit on us. They're probably just going to hate on this because it's so not keeping right. a real B-boy. And it was like, but if you go beyond that, it's actually the realest B-boy thing you could do. Because that's what I, – I, I listened to the early guys and studied all the, the early DJs who were playing breaks and playing incorporating all styles of music and craft work and James right. Brown and rock and funk. That's what it was. That's They were just playing records. And somehow we got over to just rap records. I was like, no, it can be still musical. And I feel like that's the struggle still is that people, when you go and play clubs and, and festivals and things, people want the hits and you got to give them a little bit of that, but then you got to sprinkle in the things that you are trying to sort of expand their mind with. And, and I do that sort of like You know, uh, two for them, one for me, three for them, one for me. Like, I always try and keep that balance going because then I'm not bored and then it sort of allows me to stand out a little bit still. And I think that's the whole point, right? You want to stand out.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, you you talked about the marketing and, like, you know, the fact that that was 4,000 copies or whatever it ended up. Is amazing how far it traveled. And again, you know, yeah. that was the internet was fueling that. It was a but it was a
1: perfect storm in a weird way, but it, it, everyone got it, man. And it and yeah. it opened up this, you know, they were like mashups. And it's like we didn't really even call it that. We just right. called it blending. It was yeah, you know, take an acapella of this or a instrumental of that and just mix them together and then they called it mashups. We were like, that's kinda and it was funny because it ushered in this whole new thing of like People calling themselves mashup DJs. I'm like, uh-huh. I'm gonna take rock records and mix them with hip hop records and I'm a mashup DJ. And so you'd see on flyers like, you know, right. playing hip hop, playing mashups, playing it's like and mashup the term just means mixing. Right. And so like I'm a mixing DJ. Uh-huh. It was a redundancy that I was just like, this is so dumb. But you well, know, at the same you know, time I had to kind of rock with it, you know. But we're kind of addicted to these labels, right? Of course. Um, At first, I was like super like Ugh, about it, but then I was like, you know, whatever, call it what you want to call it, do what you do, I don't care. But it just the thing is, what happened is it also ended up being a little kind of a mess because we were really finicky over what went with what because things had to be in key, they had to match yeah. tempos, there was all this meticulous about like we'd try a hundred things and if only one kind of worked, we might put it on the shelf mm-hmm. until the one came along. But once it opened up the Pandora's box and you had people in the UK and whoever, like it's, everyone was just file uploading and, and Mashup became such a search button that you get these guys who are like mixing two things that didn't sonically sound good but like maybe the, you know, uh, you know, I don't know. You'd have like Lou Reed, walk on the wild side, and, and Adam Ant, goody two-shoes, walk on the goody two-shoes side. you like, sure. it's the worst. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like, it sounds horrible, the Whoa. name, I get the juxtaposition of the name, but, like, you miss the whole concept, and you're just pushing the square through the circle, and it's, like, not working. So there was a, a part of, like, oh, my God, it just opened up this door to, like, such horrible. But then there was also a lot of people who came through and realized, like, we can push the boundaries and open up doors. So it sort of ushered yeah. in things for like too many DJs and danger mouse and all these other people who sure. kept the, kept the the right momentum going. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think it, it definitely, um, you know, that genre or whatever got that style of mixing definitely got taken to ca- kind of cartoonish levels. Extremely. Um, and you know, a lot of just wordplay like yeah. titles, as you yeah. said, or a lot of like ironic DJing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and there, there was an era for a while, if you guys remember, um, where it was like, let's make people dance at any cost, right? Which I, you know, I, I get. as, a, But it was like, we're, we're just going to play the cheesiest, fun song because we just know people are going to dance even though we're like sort of holding our noses while we do it. Yeah. And, I, and, and you know, what, what you do, I think, is very different. And I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier, that you're playing music that you love. And the fact that it's different genres is not, yeah. That's not what drives it.
1: Well, it was. It was the thing is I could stand behind any of those things I right. played, and I could tell you about those records or those artists, and you could tell that it meant something to me, and it was coming out through the mix in that manner. Um, I st- I think we're still in a situation now where, uh, you know, there are a handful of DJs who really care about selecting and, and yeah. care about the details, but there's a a really huge chunk of DJs who just want. The big drop, the big tune, the followers, the all the other things that come with it, which is okay to want those things, but in their quest to get those things they've skipped a big chunk and some people go back and learn it some people don't but I it struggle I struggle when I go to hear other DJs play um, you know maybe one in in uh, you know three or four DJs don't have this but most I see mostly younger cats. Uh, are just playing tunes, and they're not putting any of them into the mix, and yeah. you can't really hear them in the mix. You can, and as a DJ, when you have a DJ ear, you hear the the hot tune to the hot tune to the hot tune, and you're like, okay, you're just running through hits. And while you might be finessing them up a little bit, in my mind, I'm like, what 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 do you play in your car when you're driving away from the gig? Right, like, that's what I want to hear. Or what are you listening to in the airport when you're waiting for the to the next show? Like. Sprinkle some of that in. Because are you really listening to, like, Baby Shark right now? Between? Because that's what you're pushing on me right now. Like, oh, you know, because it's getting a reaction. Sure. But, you know, what what are the things that you're really into that you can sprinkle between the two? And that is when I go and get inspired. Because then I'm listening, like, I don't know what that is. Or I hear something and I get, I sort of get the, the blood pumping again. But when you hear just somebody run through, uh, you know, 40 hits, 100 hits in a row... And you then you go to another party and you hear the same thing, just in a different order. It's it's, it's a little sort of like, come on, man, we could be doing so much more than this. Yeah. But I get it. Like, I also understand the commerce side. and But, you know, there's just the part of me that's like, I want to hear what you're into. You're in a position also to sell your who you are. You know, is it just an image? Is it just you so, up there? So what's the... Sonically, I want to know what you're... You know. What's the incentive, right? Like, you can... Um...
0: The, the the musical part of being a DJ can be pretty easy now.
1: Yeah, to physically right? like do it, yeah.
0: To fit like there there's technology, there's access to records. You don't have to fly all over the world yeah. hunting down records. You know, all, all the shit that you went through to build your your skills and your toolkit. We can get that in a in a weekend. Yeah. Um why should people work the,
1: as hard then? Because... I'm a living testament to if you work hard enough and you stand out, you'll have a long career (laughs) and other people appreciate it. I mean, you know, I, you know how many people come up to me at the end of a a show and say, man, you know, I I stumbled upon you and you changed the way I look at things. You changed the way I hear things or I met my wife at one of your shows or whatever it is. It's like, it's almost like having a grateful dead following of people who really care to come out and see me do what I do because it's so, I try to keep it as authentic as I possibly can. And you can get that other stuff anywhere. You know that's what right. I mean? So I feel like it's, it's you know, it's incentive. It's If if you get your own sound, you know, if I want to see somebody, if I want to see Aphex Twin, like that's a sound, that's Aphex Twin sound. You know what right. I mean? And it's yeah. specific. If I want to see Radiohead, that's their sound. And, I, and these are people like I, I could go on and on about like, how many other bands sound like the other bands that are hot for the moment and then move on to the next thing and it's like you don't really know what their sound is or maybe it takes them five or ten years to find their own, their own sound. Yeah. I just, you know, I think I'm just, maybe I'm preaching to the choir with a lot of people who are listening but I just struggle with trying to find inspiration. Music should be inspiring um, at least 75% of the time, you know what I mean? If you're doing it right, you know? Yeah. As opposed to the other way
0: hey shout out to la times for having us um at the festival of books it's a good time you should get out there next year hopefully we'll be back again for a third time it's uh every april uh sometime in april in la check the la times for that if you're if you're digging this episode go back we uh we recorded another live one last year i was on stage with ali shaheed muhammad the dj and producer from a tribe called quest another amazing dj and a great interview you can uh you can check that one out as well so on, on that note you, you know you you got um you know you kind of blew up with with uneasy listening you got a record deal you know people all over the world were discovering it um from the outside and that was at a time when DJs the DJ was becoming you know was moving from the booth to the stage yeah right and uh you know AM and shortly after you know Steve Aoki and you know we start seeing the explosion of of the DJ you kind of went the other direction and kept it underground um you know not making banging out EDM tracks and uh you know playing celebrity parties i mean i'm sure you've played celebrity parties but like you didn't you you didn't go that route of making that your career and your business
1: was that on purpose yeah i mean I, again i just i have to be authentic to what i care about like i'll i'll push boundaries and i'll take chances always but my biggest thing was i didn't want to go and become part of a niche thing or a uh, something that's very for the times or for that moment, and then all of a sudden not be able to back out of that. Like, I'll flirt with everything, but, like, I, I, I came out this way, and I've been able now to go through, you know, the blog house era, the yeah. dubstep era. You know, it's like I've been able to, to bounce through and, and still flirt with, like, I love all this stuff, but, like, sure. to not make, you know, what's hot right now, oh, uh, you know, down tempo edm all right i'm gonna make a whole album of that like okay then what then in three years it's like oh wow that's the thing man just timeless classic style to me is matters more because i always want something that it's funny we were sitting down out front and and you're playing a mix of uh that i did at the get back right and it's funny as i was talking to uh to my friend over here um I was like, wow, this is good music. I was like, who, this is like, (laughs) and I didn't realize until like two or three songs, like, oh shit, this is me. (laughs) It's
0: fucking hot tonight, y'all, but it's about to get hotter because we're about to bring you legendary DJ Z Trip. That's how we're doing it tonight. Get back. Woo!
1: I ain't no joke. I used to let the mic smoke. Now I slam it when I'm done and make sure i broke. When I'm gone, no wrong, And that's, that's from, great. you know, whatever, like 10 years ago or something. And yeah. we talked about how, like, timeless music, it's like that. I could have done that last night because the content and the music I was flipping was, like, proper funk, good tunes. And it's like good tunes are good tunes are good tunes, and they'll always stand the test of time. That's why you have... Fleetwood Mac and Pink Floyd and all these people who are just you know Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody will always be able to be played because it's such a classic. As opposed to, you know, what was the big Snap tune from you know four years ago, right? You know that everyone knew at the time, but now you know what are those people doing with their lives? It's like, so was there was there a moment when you had to make hard choices to say I'm gonna I'm gonna
0: go with what I know instead of like there's a big check for something whack
1: in front of me. I think every day is a hard choice because that stuff is so tempting and the money is so yeah there and it's like, you know, you know how many times I've done, you know, gone to photo shoots and they're like, here, put these clothes on and look this certain way or, <laughs> or you know, uh, hey, we want you to remix this thing, but do it in this kind of fashion. It's like you have to have some sense of integrity of what you are taking on to know where the fine line is between Okay, I'm gonna go get that bag of money because it's great money. But like, I'm also gonna regret it in the morning. But you know what? I could use that money because that's gonna fund me getting all these other cool records that right. I'm gonna be able to play and do this other cool thing with it. So it's like almost like a Robin Hood. I'm gonna rob from the rich and give to the poor musically. But um, you have to choose those battles because if you're just constantly over there, then you you know you might be famous, but then what sort of credibility are you going to have? You're going to have to walk back from that. You know what
0: I mean? I mean, I think that's a story people tell themselves, right? Like, I'm going to get that money it's going to fund all this great stuff, and you kind of never get to the great stuff because you you just get off track.
1: You know, I struggle with, with, I have a lot of friends who are DJs who are amazing DJs, incredible DJs, and when we're around each other or we're freestyling or playing records or messing around, it's like, I know what they're capable of doing. But they fell into the bottle service circuit. Right. And that's the only gigs they play now. And while it's good money for them, it's kind of like, yo, I'm just going to take this job at this gas station for the summer. And then before I know it, I come back 15 years later, like, I'm the manager of this mobile station. That's right. And it's like, yeah, but you're so much better than that. Like, you just stuck with the day job. You didn't push a little bit. And I think, like, it's... It gets a little dicey because at the, but you know, who am I also at the end of the day? Like if you're a DJ and you're DJing at at a nightclub and you're making lots of money and you're doing your thing and you're not, you're bagging groceries, like, and you're still DJing, like, who am I? It's just not for me, man. Yeah. It's just a
0: question of what everybody's in it for. Right. So like there's this thing, you know, we, we refer, we think of DJs as curators, Right? because you're playing other people's music and whatever. and um, But I, I don't think that describes you very well, right? because uh, the selection is just one small part of what you do. You make music, you combine things into ways that they've never been done before. You get up on stage with Beck and take risks. Like, you know, curation is not really,
1: doesn't do that justice well it allows me the room to to go anywhere now if i just did bottle service clubs and then all of a sudden i was like i'm going to do a reggae night like right. that would be so hard for me to just yeah. kick off but because i've been able to bob and weave out of all these different um areas and played in front of different crowds it, it's kind of the the known you know like i know he's going to be amazing i just don't know what he's going to play like yeah. so that to me is something that i've really I'm really happy to have built up over the years because I've been able to parlay it into other things. So if I do a Coachella or I do um, you know, a, a Bonnaroo or whatever big festival, and then I go do something with LL and we do a thing that's a completely different thing, or then I go and do the AFI Fest or the Tribeca Film Festival where I'm scoring to a silent movie live in front of a crowd. These are weird things that, you know what I mean? Like, sure. I try my hardest to keep myself evolving I have a show coming up um, with Adam Deitch the drummer of Lettuce Mm -hmm. and Buck Rogers doing the finger drumming and Supernatural freestyling and me and you know we might rehearse for a day before the show but who knows what the hell is going to come of it I just know I've got the right players and that keeps me excited sitting in with Carl Denson sitting in with Galactic all these different bands and things it keeps me uh, evolving and exciting, and uh, you know, I try to to push those boundaries, even to the point of doing things that are uncomfortable. Um, opening for Linkin Park for the last, you know, the show that they did at Hollywood Bowl, yeah. um, where Chester had passed, and we were doing a tribute show. That was a really hard show for me to do. You know what I mean? Sure. But like, a, I wanted to do it for Chester. B, you know, I wanted to I wanted to get it off my chest. So sonically, I wanted to sort of cleanse myself and. And feel that you know therapy from that, but it was really hard to do. And doing shows like that, it's it's important to push my boundaries. It's important to not be comfortable every single time I get behind the turntables because you don't grow, right? What um, What have you learned from L O Cool J? God,
0: that guy! I saw, I saw you guys last year at Jazz Fest, and it was
1: an incredible, incredible show. Thanks. Um, I've learned that I thought my work ethic was amazing <laughs> and I was so wrong because yeah. that guy I mean I think I keep it pretty good but he is Yeah. just every second of every day is p- constantly pushing and growing and evolving and um, it's just been amazing to be around him he's such a, a, a an amazing source of energy and um, constantly inspired by that guy yeah it's, it's like it's to watch him work. Um, and, and the other thing is to collaborate with him, to, to, to be able to, like, you know, how we first started working, it was very much like I came at the situation with, like, here's my skill set, here's your skill set, and we're both successful in our own right. He didn't have to work with me. I didn't have to work with him. We wanted to work together. And when you have a difference between needing and and wanting, it's a completely different thing. Because if we don't need to make this stuff, but we want to make this art, the art is going to be so much better. And his work ethic, my work ethic, I mean, it's real proper MC and DJ on stage. Like, we're really doing it. There's no overdubs. It's a lot of walking on the high wire. And the fact that he's up for that and it's still in incredibly great shape and still delivers. Um, pushes me to, to like, I want to do even more. And so we're constantly, you know, we don't take anything for granted. We we always rehearse and work on new bits, and, it, and it's constantly evolving. It's amazing. But his uh, that's what I've learned is how to just be better and continue and, and evolve. Yeah, I mean, th- I, I thought that's what stood
0: out on the stage was this chemistry, that it wasn't about the DJ playing a couple things in between. Raps or whatever, yeah. There's right? no way I,
1: I wouldn't do it, I wouldn't yeah, of be course. there.
0: Of course, Okay, uh, before we uh wrap up because somebody else is going to take this stage, yeah. Um, I have a, a quick lightning round, yeah. Fire away. Uh, right. So, what's your favorite city
1: to travel to? Uh, well, I have a few, uh, Bay Area, Colorado. I love Hawaii, Japan's amazing, Canada is awesome, uh, Austin, Texas. You're all over the place, yeah. Those are all great places. Who's your favorite TJ? depends on what mood i'm in um but uh that's uh, yeah i have to skip that one there's this is too hard man nobody likes that question. yeah i can't do it i can't do it well your name's come up uh with quite a few of our guests i appreciate um, that
0: uh, including my own um what's the last great book you read uh
1: finding your voice it was uh louder than words by todd henry uh who's an amazing um uh, author. He has a book called The Accidental Creative and oh, yeah. that's uh if you if you're a creative person and you're struggling with trying to find uh creative ideas in a pressure cooker situation where you have to be on demand with ideas that book is a really amazing book. What movie have you seen the most in your life? The Warriors.
0: Oh, it's a great movie. I mean, if you're going to watch a movie over and over, that's a good one.
1: Yeah, what? I'm proud and ashamed as as I as I look at it now. It's like ooh, it's a little cringeworthy, but like holds a deep place in my heart. I know all the words. No, it's great. Uh, if I worked for you,
0: what's something I would hear you say over and over? <laughs> oh,
1: where the fuck is that record? Where's that record? <laughs> where is that record? I know it's somewhere. I oh man, help me find this record. That's what you'd find Because it's somewhere Like in my collection Yeah That's the problem When it's on vinyl And you don't have it digitized And you know I need that acapella And it's on this thing But it's not there It's not where I left it So like There's three or four hours At a time that'll go (laughs) Down the rabbit hole Until it's finally find it But that's Yeah We'd be on the hunt Amazing It happens Z-Trip Thank you for doing this man (laughs) Yeah man Stoked Thank you for having me
0: Yo that was Z-Trip live at the LA Times Festival of Books on Rebel Radio. I hope you liked it. I know I did. Make sure you leave us a comment. Uh, Let us know what you think of these live episodes. We're going to try to do more, and I would love to have you there in person and and all that. Uh, You can leave us comments uh, or send us a note, whatever. On Twitter, on Facebook, wherever you like. uh, We're at Rebel Radio Net, and most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. Peace.